let's, let's get, get ready, ready for work. work. I think the urban areas are going to have a real hard time. I'm already seeing that. And I think that the rural areas, this is their chance. And so those that are prepared to have their stuff in order, uh, know what they're doing, have prepared sites, have prepared workforces, I think are going to have great success. I think this is rural America's greatest chance ever. 2020 is finally behind us, but what does that mean for workforce and economic development leaders as the market continues to shift in 2021? Chad Chancellor from the Next Move Group joins us to explore what's ahead. Ready for Work is a podcast powered by ACT, showcasing excellence and innovation throughout the workforce ecosystem. Jason Jones hosts this journey with trends and ideas to help your region's workforce reach its highest potential. Let's get ready for work. Keeping the future in mind is a necessary function for persisting through disaster recovery. As regions continue to overcome the pandemic, there is a balance in preparing for future opportunities and obstacles at the same time. Here on Episode 25, we're pleased to welcome Chad Counselor to Ready for Work. Yeah, glad to be here. Appreciate you for having me. Looking at 2021 and beyond, Chad, what do you see on the horizon for the marketplace of local and regional economic development? Well, I think in some ways it was getting to where labor was such a problem before COVID hit. You know, we were down in many places. There were small towns down to 2 and 3% unemployment. So my company, we do several different things. But one of the things we do, we do executive searches for economic developers. And we were meeting with boards that said, we don't need any new industries anymore. We don't really need that anymore. We've run out of people. It's going to knock us back to what we used to do, which is go out and recruit companies and recruit jobs because of the COVID situation. You know, obviously now we're not at 3% unemployment anymore. And a lot of service companies are not going to come back. A lot of companies are looking, at, even on the manufacturing side, a lot of companies are looking at, do we consolidate plants? Do we shift production? And so I think economic developers are probably about to be needed more than, than they've been needed since 08 and 09, because you're going to have to A, defend all the companies that are there now. You're going to have to fight to keep them and, you know, even fight within their corporate structure to uh, get more investment there. And you're going to have to go out and, and probably recruit new industries. What might developers expect in working with local employers, and how do you see this affecting the workforce development ecosystem? On the workforce side, you know, I'm worried that this is going to push even more automation. You can't blame companies. <laughs> They've been in COVID. A machine doesn't really catch the virus, so you're right. better off to have that. So I think it's going to push potential candidates for jobs into having to be even more technically inclined. So I think that uh, what I would foresee is there'll be less jobs but higher pay. I think you're going to have more skills. You're going to have a lot more 50-job manufacturing plants than 200 jobs, but those 50 won't be minimum wage work. They'll be $20 an hour skill type people. That's my prediction for what it's worth. I may be as wrong as wrong can be, but that would be my guess. I suspect much of the economic development community shares that same perspective, Chad. How have the market disruptions of 2020 affected smaller markets and more rural areas? Yeah, I think this is rural America's greatest chance ever since the 50s or 60s to do economic development. I think the urban areas are going to have a real hard time. I'm already seeing that. And I think the the rural areas, this is their chance. And so those that are prepared, who have their stuff in order, uh, know what they're doing, have prepared sites, have prepared workforces, I think are going to have great success. I'm already seeing that, not necessarily in success, but in sales tax revenue. So we were doing an executive search in Lake Martin, Alabama, about a month or two ago. And I was talking with their mayor and I said, boy, this must be a hard time. Sales tax has got to be down. He said, no, our sales tax is record 
Rutgers Heights. And I said, what do you mean? Well, they're about an hour from Birmingham. So what they found during the COVID are the, the people in Birmingham who have summer lake homes. They went on over there in March. So they've been spending their money over there. I'm seeing it firsthand just as where I live. In addition to population shifts, what other amenities could rural areas offer to compete for new jobs? So I think over time, rural, the small to mid-sized markets are going to have a chance with that. I do think we're going to see some stuff reshored back from China. A lot of that's going to go to the places it left to start with. It left our rural towns to go to China. So as it comes back, they're going to look for cost-effective places. And most of the time, the small towns are lower taxes, lower wages, lower utility rates than the big cities. So I think a lot of that's going to come back. So yeah, I think this is their best time ever. I think the big cities are really going to have to figure out how do they train people who've worked in service all of their lives to do something else. I mean, you know, shopping malls were already going away before COVID ever came along. And so now, you know, how do you train people who were, you used to have a big retail sector? How do you now train them to work in manufacturing or distribution or whatever the case may be? Because I think that a lot of those retail jobs just simply aren't going to come back. Amazon already was putting them out of business. Then COVID came along. As local economic developers continue to pitch their locations for the site selection consultants that advise investors, how should local leaders prepare for new opportunities in 2021. The one thing that might change through was getting to where there wasn't a whole lot of industrial buildings on the market anywhere. And I don't just mean any particular geographic region. In 2010, 2011, probably 80% of the new deals went into an existing building that was vacant for whatever reason. And then they all filled up and there just wasn't any buildings left. So I think now there'll be more buildings just because of this recession. Companies are going to consolidate and close factories. And so I think you're going to have some communities out there who suddenly have a 200,000 square foot industrial building that's empty that they didn't have before. So I think in that regard, you know, that's something if a community has it, obviously you never want to lay off, you never want a company to leave. But if you do have that, you need to let every site selector know ASAP that you have this building that's suddenly coming available. How should workforce ecosystem leaders translate those expectations? We want to see your plan to recruit people, screen, and train them. And it's really that simple. It's really no different than it ever was. You just may now have more people available because you're going to lose a lot of retail. You have a way to figure out, can you screen those people who've worked in retail, for instance? Can you then train them to work in some kind of light manufacturing, whatever? If you can show a way to do that, then I think you're going to have a leg up on the competition. As manufacturing, retail, and other local industry sectors evolve, how does this affect the demand for credentials such as the WorkKeys National Career Readiness Certificate? It somewhat varies based on the companies. We typically represent small to mid-sized manufacturers. So we represent a lot of 50-job, 100-job type manufacturing operations. So I find the smaller ones, a lot of times if you can just show them, and some states do this well, and I know they use y'all's program to really complement it. If you can show them, we can help you recruit people, and then we can screen them. And every company's different, as y'all know. I mean, you know, the distribution company needs different aptitudes than the manufacturer, but they do want to see that. So then and if you can say, we can go find you 200 people to apply, we'll run them through this testing, we'll see bronze, gold, silver, all this kind of stuff, and then we'll submit to you, these are the people who have the, the scales, and here's how we're going to train them. Then I think those places are going to have a real opportunity. And, and you're right, even with office base now, I mean, commercial office base is kind of going to be a thing of the past. I really think economic developers have got to look at your community. Now, a lot of small towns didn't have a lot of retail or commercial space, so you may not have this. 
if you're in a town that had a big shopping mall, that had all this stuff, you know, you really need to figure out what programs can we put in place to figure out what these folks' aptitudes are and then how can we train them. I'd say if you get a plant with less than like 100 employees, then they just want to see kind of the whole package, recruit, spring track. If you get one hiring 500, they want to see a long-term plan, not just how do I staff my plant up the first day. So they would be more interested in your long-term programs, whereas the ones hiring 50 people would rather you almost build a customized program for them, if that makes any sense. It does. Well said, Chad. The fulfillment function of a project is just as essential as marketing. Wage competitiveness at the local level between new and existing firms could make or break a new rollout. Yeah, that's right. And, and then, then everybody's unhappy because the company you've recruited is unhappy. And then other people in town who they're yes. competing with for labor is unhappy. Right. And everybody's unhappy. And we usually tell our clients, you know, labor's like anything else. It's supply and demand. Yes. And so if, if you think you can go into town and get real skilled people for $10 an hour, a lot of times you can't do that. It, exactly. it, nor, ne- nor necessarily should you. Right. So we, we, we like to tell our clients, you know, this is what you're going to have to pay in order to get the type of workers that you need. What does that reality check look like, Chad? We did a labor study, and I won't say where it was, so I don't give the town away, but we did a labor study for a town not long ago, and across the street, there were two industries. It did similar type stuff, and we went in one, and the fella had run multiple plants, and he said, this is by far the best workforce I've ever had, and I've run plants all over the country. And we asked him what he was paying. He was paying $16 an hour. We went across the street and met with this guy, and he said, oh my God, this is the worst work force I ever had. I can't find anybody. It's just terrible. I mean, literally, I had the two meetings back to back. And I said, what are you paying? He is paying $14.50. So the, for the $1.50 difference, one guy said, this is terrible. Can't find anybody. The other guy said, I've run five or six plants. This is by far the best situation ever. You know, so sometimes it boils down to the employers. I think a lot of times manufacturers and site selectors like to beat these towns up. Y'all don't have enough workers. Y'all don't have enough workers. Sometimes you got to look in the mirror and say, well, are we paying enough. Right. And that's kind of where the rubber hits the road. As a site selection consultant, Chad, what advice do you offer firms new to an area to hit the right balance of labor costs? Yeah, yeah. So most of the companies are in true growth mode, understand that. And it's part of our site selection services. And I'm sure all the consultants do what we do. We run a whole labor breakdown for them where we predict for them what they're going to have to pay based on certain SOC codes. So certain occupations, they'll give us a spreadsheet. I need 25 team assemblers. I need 30 weld, whatever the case may be. And then we run various analysis to show them, okay, this is what you're going to have to pay. Now, you will once in a while find a company that's totally relocating. And right now you're seeing a lot of that out of California and Illinois. Taxes, workers' comp rates, electric power rates. So a lot of times those companies are are physically moving the whole plant. And in those cases, they are very cost sensitive because they're thinking to themselves, well, if I'm going to move this plant, I got to get a better deal to go through this headache and hassle. Usually the Midwest and Southeast, we offer lower labor rates than they will pay in in California anyway. But most, if, if a plant is re, is literally relocating, a lot of times they will get down in the weeds and really, you know, figure out to the penny what they're going to have to pay for labor. But if you've got a company in true growth mode, they have new customers in your area, so they need a plant. They're not moving a plant. They're adding new capacity, then a lot of times they look at it just as like you said with the whole, hey, this is just a cost of doing business. Let's pay what we got to pay. What do these recommendations look like for the leadership of a local workforce area so they're equipped for these growth opportunities? Best advice I can give is really think of all your workforce offerings and ask yourself, how do we recruit, screen and train? And the the best economic developers that I see who really know how to promote workforce development 
they put all their programs in one of those buckets. I've been places that had 10 or 15 different workforce providers, for instance. You know, everybody from the, the local Votech could train kids in 10th grade to the community college to the state had a program. You had your federal on-the-job training program. You had all this stuff. And and all of that is appropriate, but sometimes it'll go over to prospect's head. It'll sound like alphabet soup. And you have to remember, usually when you're recruiting a company, you're dealing with the CEO, the CFO. A lot of times the HR manager is not part of that process. So the HR manager may perfectly understand all your programs, but they're not in that decision. You got to sell it almost at a 30,000 foot level so that the CEO gets it, if that makes any sense. So what I recommend communities do is figure out every possible workforce provider you have and put them into one of three buckets. This one can help recruit. This one can help screen. This one can help train. And then kind of put all of that into a sales pitch to where it makes sense rather than just the old alphabet soup game. You know, we, we have this program called KFEDA and it'll this and we have this pro. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Figure out this one recruits, this one screens, this one trains. That's what I just tell people. You know, recruit, screen, train, recruit, screen, train. And if you get all of them organized in that fashion, then that lets the CEO kind of take it in instead of drinking water from a fire hose. And they can say, yeah, these people can really help me. Because once they make the decision, you're dealing with their HR manager anyway. And chances are they're going to understand all your programs. But you got to sell the whole concept of it first in order to get to that level. Chad, how might our listeners learn more about your work at the Next Move Group? Folks can uh, learn more about us at thenextmovegroup.com. It's T-H-E, nextmovegroup.com. Nextmovegroup.com was already purchased, so we had to we had to be thenextmovegroup.com. Right it's been such a pleasure to chat with you, Chad, on Ready for Work, and I hope our paths will continue to cross. All right, I appreciate it. Thanks again to Chad Chancellor, the Next Move Group, for joining us on Ready for Work. The link Chad mentioned will be in our show notes as well for episode 25. You're listening to Ready for Work from ACT. Ready for Work. At the beginning of each year, Site Selection Magazine publishes a special issue focusing on economic development competitiveness and workforce issues. For 2021, Site Selection also published workforce development rankings of states within regions of the U.S. Looking back to episode 18 of Ready for Work, publisher Mark Arend helps further demystify which indicators are important and why. State of the States is a report that we began doing probably five or six years ago, and it is a state-by-state data page, basically. For each state, we have two, three, four, five different legislative highlights. We just pick the things that would be of interest to our readers. On most pages, we include a list of significant projects that were announced the previous year. We indicate whether or not a state is right to work, because that's important to a number of our readers. We indicate their credit rating. So how financially stable are they? So it's just kind of a quick glance at things that would be of interest to the reader. If they're comparing three states in the Southeast, they might turn to each of those pages. Probably one of the most useful tools on the page is kind of an index that shows how the state performs in six different measures. At a quick glance, I'm looking at a state right now that is 40th in the nation in its business tax climate. It's 23rd in the nation in its higher education R&D expenditures. It is sixth in the nation in its number of national career readiness certificates from ACT. It's 22nd in workers' comp. So you can kind of quickly see how a state fares against the other 49 in 
any of these six measures. It's just kind of a set of tools on a page that give the reader kind of a quick overview of, I need to look into that state more carefully because of the legislation that was just passed or because of what I now know about how the state ranks in these six different criteria. So it's really a user-friendly tool for high-level analysis of, of the 50 states. Both Chad and Mark touched on the power of the WorkKeys National Career Readiness Certificate to prove the quality and competitiveness of the workforce. Another resource for an economic developer's toolbox is work-ready communities from ACT. Here's Brenda Latanza, the chief economic developer from Preble County, Ohio, on her experience in the site selection process as a work-ready community. I went to a meeting in Georgia with a company that was considering locating here in Preble County. The company was there from Germany. And when I started giving my presentation and I told them we were an ACT work-ready community and I said, I'll explain that to you here in a few minutes. And they said, oh, we know what that is and we like that. And they like that and site selectors like that because they know that you have those stakeholders at the table who really, really care about developing the skills of your workforce. If you're ready to take your region's workforce to the next level, this could be your year with WorkReady Communities. We have several opportunities for regions to apply, train, and deploy the WorkReady Communities model. Check out the link in our show notes and let us know how ACT Workforce Solutions can help you get ahead. Ready for Work is a service from your friends at ACT, a mission-driven nonprofit organization dedicated to helping people achieve education and workplace success. Discover more online at act.org slash ready for work podcast. Now, let's get to work.